this is Rick Riss. I'm a senior consultant at ARC, and today we'll be talking with Albert Royakers. Albert is the founder and CEO of Bedrock Automation. Welcome to this podcast. Albert, I'd like to start by asking you, why does industry need OSA, Open Secure Automation? Good to be here, Rick. Thank you very much. Um, there are two important um, pieces to that uh, question. It's the open and secure, and which are a bit of a dichotomy, but let's let's explain. Um, traditionally, uh, automation users are sort of forced in this uh, proprietary incompatibility solution in that from the sensor up to the enterprise, it was a single vendor that provided everything. And this worked for a very long time, um, but it limited the amount of uh, innovation and the ability for technology to accelerate in any one of these given technologies. So an open system means that with uh, a limited number of well-defined interfaces, a user should be able to pick and choose the best technologies. And this will allow the best cost at the best functionality for the given application and the given given customer. Let me give you a key example for us would be one of our customers. It's a government um, building automation project, which has uh, WAGO, low cost, distributed uh, discrete IO connected via gateways to our backplane with redundant control and connected by a network to uh, inductive automation SCADA, all protected by Allen Bradley PLC, uh, Allen Bradley UPS. Now, perhaps traditionally a vendor would not like to, you know, have it that way, but I think that that's kind of cool because that allowed that particular user to take the advantages of the technologies and the price in each one of these segments and put it together in a building block approach and get a best-in-class solution for their application. So that's the example, you know, where it rings true. Now, of course, the key thing is security, and security matters across the board in automation in an enterprise. Um, but in an open system, it's even more so important because you're going to require, again, these clearly defined interfaces to have certain technologies and standards applied to them so that the data transfer and the computation and communication that exists across these interfaces remains cryptographically secure and authentication exists as well. Thank you for that, Albert. It was a good description of open, secure automation. A lot of other suppliers bolt on their security. How is your Bedrock mm -hmm. Automation platform different? Well, we talk about it in, uh, in the phrase of bolted on versus built in or built in versus bolted on. And we use an analogy that's biological and give an example of virus, which uh, unfortunately is an analogy that's tragically relatable to everyone today. But uh, if a system is built in, has built in defense, just like your body, then your defense exists at the smallest common denominator, which is at a cellular level and your body is vaccinated. So if you have bolt-on defense against COVID-19, you're wearing masks and uh, suits and gloves, um, or if you're, you know, you, you've developed immunity or a vaccine is created, then you, you get rid of the mask and the suit and the gloves, and you can coexist with the virus because your defense has now been built in. Well, the same thing happens with uh, with digital systems. In order to really solve the problem, you have to 
start at the smallest common denominator, which is the transistor, and you build from there. So you need specialized transistor uh, computation technologies that ensure that the system will have a secure boot, meaning that the code, the firmware, the boot ROM, the application is intrinsically secured into the component itself. And the attack vectors at the at the submicron and at the component level are protected. So then you start building from there with a secure RTOS, with uh, anti-tamper technologies and uh, various other um, you know, components and pieces that ensure that the system will be intrinsically secure. Now these are fairly advanced technologies uh, that were used just recently in the high-end aerospace and military systems. And it's now really commercially available for the company that wants to start with a fresh uh, sheet of paper and, and design a system from scratch, incorporating these kinds of technologies. And then over top of all of that, you need to address the supply chain. And the supply chain is an extremely difficult problem to solve because we are in a global supply chain model. So everywhere the components and the boards and the firmware and the software and the applications are created, you need a chain of trust and you need to ensure that the attack vectors for malware um, do not exist across the entire, uh, you know, the entire supply chain. So it, it's, it's a pretty complicated problem to solve. And so either the vendors decide they're going to solve that and bear the technological you know, crunch and the cost and the burden to make it work from the beginning, or the user has to bear that cost over the life cycle of the technology by continuing to try to maintain a bolted on defense. It's really one or the other, and that's, that's, that's the big difference. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that does make sense. In fact, it was a very good analogy. Uh, basically, you've built in antigens to your system and you're virus free. Mm -hmm. So you're immune to some of the viruses, yeah. essentially, uh, but also I assume in yeah. the communication side. OK, so the next yeah. question uh, is that when you have to communicate with other systems, you often are using OPC UA. It seems like it's very widespread. Can you explain how you keep OPC communications to third parties and enterprise systems secure? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, but that re that that involves um, a, a lot more thought uh, and care. Um, OPC UA as a standard has come a long way in defining uh, security. Um, approaches to security. What's important, first of all, is that the client and the server, the server is usually in the, uh, in the end equipment, the OT equipment, uh, and the client is in the enterprise side, but both sides have to ensure that they uh, can, um, that they support TLS. So with TLS, you can create a tunnel, a secure tunnel, and you're off to a good start. Now, um, the problem or the, some of the deficiencies with OPC UA is that OPC UA specifies that certificates need the IP address and the name of the device. Now, this makes sense in the context of self-signed certificates. And for some users and some applications, this is okay. But in many, um, you know, enterprise and industrial applications, it really is not. 
and you need to have a third party certificate authority provide the certificates. And that becomes really difficult because in that case, you need both the IP address and the name of the device. And this is very, very hard to do in the, you know, in the runtime world. And it also makes replacing a device and maintaining the device is rather complicated. So, so there's, there's, you know, some really good progress that's, that's being made. And you will certainly have, you know, an intrinsic level of security if both the end device and the, um, the IT enterprise devices will um, logically connect and support TLS. Then ensuring that the, you know, the keys and the certificates are properly managed, uh, you're, you're off in the races. So there's room for improvement and the, there's continuous improvement in that area, but, um, but it's come a long way. One of the other key problems, of course, with any control system is how you go about programming it. The IEC mm-hmm. 61131 standard with the IEC 611499 extension standard defines how PLC programming describes function blocks, ladder logic, and structured text. How does the bedrock automation mm-hmm. comply with these specifications, make it easy to implement complex control systems? Mm, yeah, yeah. So probably the most important um, thing that's happened to uh, the automation industry is what's happened in software and the long-term evolution and now truly uh, widespread adoption of 611.31. Now, there's there's really two primary paradigms for implement, implementing control. It's blocks and programming languages. And uh, 611.31 implements the language paradigm, even though it includes function block diagrams and the ability to create block libraries. Uh, Foundation Fieldbus, not to bring that in, but uh, just for a moment to talk about that. In contrast, Fieldbus offered really the only fully standardized block set. Now, um, 61499 is really originates in an intellectual exercise from academia. uh, And the hide, data hiding is a basic principle of 61499. So a block has a defined interface, but you can't see inside of it. So there's also a basic concept that new blocks can be composed out of existing blocks to encapsulate more complex functions. So anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining that, but the importance is that, you know, there, there's, there's two different strengths and fundamental capabilities in these two standards. Now, we adopted uh, in, as our runtime programming environment um, Codesys, which is out of 3S in Germany, one of the leading, if not the leading set of tools for 611.31. And we are certainly keeping an eye on 61.499. And I think that, uh, I think that 61.499, while it incorporates some really cool ideas and will allow you to more rapidly create or replicate the kind of elegance that you had in advanced control strategies in the DCS world, uh, it, I, we, we don't see you know, wide use and wide adoption. It's not to say that it won't happen. These things will take time. So we're dabbling in it. We're keeping familiar with it. We see many different ways to deploy it in any kind of a third-party open set of tools. And, you know, the user community has to has to train itself and evolve with it. And, you know, all of that will merge in the, in the most effective way. So all of our tools are based on 611.31, um, based on a de facto tool in the marketplace. And we're keeping a close eye on 61499. 
Now, the users have made huge strides in building libraries and by, you know, um, sourcing open source libraries like, like OSCAT and PLC Open and others. So that's evolving as well. And you'll see more and more the users will have the ability to, you know, cut and paste and copy and download, um, you know, functional elements in, in the 611.31 tools and 611.31 library and 611.31 blocks. And um, and this is we're seeing customers seeing tremendous efficiencies in this you know in this approach. So it's embedded in the design. It's embedded in the principle of Bedrock's platform, and and um, and it's probably one of the most important pieces of our differentiation puzzle. Does that make so sense? let me uh, that that uh, brings up a that brings up a question for me, Albert. Um, obviously, the Bedrock hmm. platform must come with a sufficient library of highly capable function blocks you know, PID, timers, sequential functions, all of these things. But also that means uh, it implies that system integrators and implementers can build their own libraries mm -hmm. and their own mm -hmm. function blocks and, and, and therefore enhance the overall capability of your system. That's true. Absolutely. It's, we see that across the board. Sure. Everyone's, um, you know, doing their own thing. And very quickly, with a limited amount of training, um, any experienced process engineer or automation engineer will start to have their own ideas and we've seen some very very cool things um, from the you know from the system integrators and from from the end users absolutely and the people get very excited uh, about it great but your basic uh, platform still has a fairly capable set of function blocks so in many cases all they have to do is pick functions out of your uh, function block library connect them together and they have a working control system uh yes and no we're not far enough along in that we we have built a few of the primary um, the primary functions. We don't really want to get too far down that path because uh, everyone's going to have a slightly better idea. And uh, the community, the user community is really developing it much faster than we can. So um, we don't want to get stuck uh, in that trap. Um, you know, there's, there's certain absolute fundamental elements, like for instance, we have a really cool killer PID block, which is absolutely important. But, um, <clears throat> you know, you build something and someone wants to do it their own way. So um, there's that's the trade-off. So, Albert, thanks for the explanation mm -hmm. on the function blocks and your capability of programming your system. We both mm -hmm. know that it takes process experts to implement control systems and build the user interface. What are the key partnerships that Bedrock mm -hmm. uses to build these control systems all around the world and in different industries? Again, across industries and across geographies, there are – literally thousands and tens of thousands of system integrators. These are often regional companies, sometimes just a dozen people, sometimes with large multinational footprint, perhaps like wood engineering or others. And uh, they do that for a living. They uh, deliver you know, solutions, but they don't have a control system. So it's an ideal partnership for us. And we sign on and we have a formalized process for training and certification of the system integrators. And they together we bring solutions to the customer, and so that's it's really quite quite elegant, and and it, it scales. It's 
it's uh, the, the ideal way for cost uh, reduction and cost optimization for the user because it's it's kind of an on-demand or an Uberization of the full turnkey solution. So we have um, many, many integrators. I don't know how many dozens of them, mostly in North America, some in the Middle East and Europe and Australia and a few places. And, um, and you know, we will expand and expand on these uh, system integrators as our market demands and our customer demands. It's, it's, it's a win-win for for the customer in particular, for the user. And you have also tend to have partnerships with other software suppliers. I know that you're often using inductive mm-hmm. automation, but you're not necessarily tied to any particular graphical user interface. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And that's um, that's an extremely important point. I go back uh, to my story uh, about this large building automation project. It was the you know the customer that chose uh, that chose inductive automation. So by having a clearly defined interface, in this case it's OPC UA, the interconnection between SCADA uh, as a tool set, as an environment, and the control system is almost almost plug and play. With you, for the first time, there's often a little bit of you know confirmation and stress testing and other things to to make the connection work. But it's um, you know it's just a a small fraction of the complexity that would typically exist in the past in order to get, you know, various paradigms of software to interconnect and operate. And so, you know, there's there's a there's a prime example. Another really big example for us recently was when we partnered with FlowCal. And FlowCal is sort of the gold standard for API uh, fluid measurement and custody transfer. And so by partnering with them and bringing the best in class software for measurement and, and custody transfer, we incorporated that into our control platforms, into the backplane and RTU style controllers. And now you have a fully functioning, state-of-the-art, cyber-secure flow computer. So that, as in, in, a, you know, in one fell stroke, one fell swoop, uh, integrates PLC functionality, DCS functionality, electronic flow meter functionality really all in one single platform. So that's that's our direction. You'll see much more of that in that you know Bedrock is a set of platforms and it's really a software centric roadmap. And we will partner with the best in class companies that are providing analytics, you know, uh, simpler footprint of pr- footprints of AI and you know industry specific or machine specific a- um, applications that will run on this high-performance secure platform that's our Bedrock OSA. So we're proving that this is this this idea is real, and we're bringing it to the market. So Bedrock has uh, you know quite a suite of I/O modules and I/O capability mm-hmm. to communicate with all kinds of field devices, and and also the controller yeah. fault-tolerant controllers for executing control algorithms, and and apparently mm-hmm. those control algorithms are pretty good for things uh, like flow meter uh, calculations. Is there other plans mm-hmm. in the future to expand beyond the controller to give a more general purpose? Uh, computing environment or an HMI? Where, mm-hmm. how do you see Bedrock Automation expanding? Yeah, yeah. We've, um, we, we've, we've put so much horsepower uh, by using modern electronics and more modern digital semiconductor designs that, um, I mean, it's just, it's orders of magnitude of what's typical of a, you know, more of a more modern, you know, P- PLC or DCS um, platform. So, so already uh, people are running um, things on a controller that you normally wouldn't run. Um, an example would be, uh, you know, cyber analytics. 
And so uh, today you have companies that sell hardware, software services to do, um, you know, behavioral analytics, um, intrusion detection, and these kinds of functions that give you uh, uh, some eyes on the cyber world down at the edge of the of your process. So uh, we built, we wrote that code and uh, built that functionality and we poured it right into every single controller. So it's running, it's part of Secure Boot and it's a pretty advanced analytical uh, cyber analytics package and it's, you know, it's built in and it's free. So that's an example that you simply wouldn't have the horsepower typically to do those kinds of things. Uh, we even have uh, an I.O. module that will run, um, you know, PID and full regulatory control right in an I.O. module. So the idea of running your control strategy in the I.O., in the controller, in a server, you know, wherever you want that to exist, we've already been demonstrating that. You'll see in the near term, you know, we will continually improve our hardware platform. And there's really only one piece missing in, in having a very, you know, holistic solution. And that is to what degree uh, do you bring edge computing into the OT environment? And how much horsepower and how big of a footprint is that application? Does it make sense from a memory computation, architectural perspective and security perspective? Does it make sense to put it right in the controller, in the IO module, in a temperature or uh, a pressure transmitter or in a VFD or in some other, you know, edge computation device that's out there as a ruggedized uh, computer. So this is stuff we know how to do really, really well. And, uh, and you'll see us, you know, constantly pushing the envelope. And what you get uh, is, is this extremely flat uh, and extremely advanced, uh, advanced architecture. So, Albert, Bedrock Automation can implement firmware upgrades throughout the life cycle of their product. How do you do that without mm -hmm. taking the process down? Very, very good question. And firmware upgrades, software maintenance is perhaps the most expensive lifecycle cost element. The way you do that uh, is through redundancy and properly engineered, properly designed, properly deployed. A redundant system will be able to upgrade itself or by, you know, instructions from the user without uh, interrupting the process at all without missing a single control cycle. And we are already demonstrating and shipping that functionality in the system today. And it took a long time to engineer that and design that and make it work flawlessly. So imagine uh, customers, users on upstream, midstream, or any infrastructure that high, has highly distributed or large numbers of controllers within a facility or uh, across a, you know, a process infrastructure. Um, imagine being able to upgrade it as easily as you would upgrade your iPhone and you press a button and that system will do an automatic sequential upgrade of one of the redundant pair and do a full fir firmware, um, full firmware upgrade, full reboot and full diagnostics check and then compare itself to the other processor to ensure that the databases are identical. And then that controller or that device, an IO device or any module in the system then takes over. And the second device does the same process. And when it's done, it does again, authentication, validation, database check, and they remarry. 
as a fault tolerant pair or a redundant pair. And that's all that all happens without the person, you know, touching it. Uh, and it happens literally within minutes. Within a couple of minutes, you can upgrade an entire control database. And through the encryption, authentication, security, role-based access, all the technologies are built into the system. That means you can do that from anywhere. An engineer uh, or person that's predefined biometrically and authorized to do that, that person could be standing in front of that device, in front of that system, or could be anywhere in the world over a public or private network and execute the same task. So that is a very, very important, very cool thing that you can do with a modern system design. And that's what we've built into the Bedrock Lab. Thank you, Albert. I think uh, we'll probably bring it to a close here. Okay. ARC would like to thank Bedrock Automation for giving us this insightful update on automation security. 